This is Aliens and Artists, part one of our conversation with Ruben Langdon. I'm your host, Stuart Davis. Ruben is a filmmaker, actor, and truth seeker. He co-produced the Citizen Hearing on Disclosure and hosts the series Interviews with Extra Dimensionals. The biggest contact experience that I've that I've had up to date, which was it was back in I think 2000, I want to say 16, and it was a lunar eclipse, and I had just come down from went up to the mountain to watch the eclipse with my girlfriend at the time and another woman, an elderly woman. We we went up to sort of do a little ceremony, and we were coming home, uh, and then uh, my teeth started clacking and chattering and clicking and i was like what is going on here and then i saw an image of a mantis which a week prior actually up on the different part of the mountain i was doing a meditation and that was i would say the first encounter and it was pretty you know no no big deal but it was just sitting on a rock in meditation i saw the back of a, a mantis head and i was familiar with the mantises just through reading um different experiences from like Linda Moulton Howell had done some research and interviews with some people and obviously doing the show and, and, and exploring all these different beings. Uh, the mantis comes up from time to time, not a popular <laughs> being <laughs> back then, <laughs> becoming more popular, but uh, a, uh, it, it was interesting because I recognized the back of, of, of its head and it slowly turned and looked at me with its amazing eyes with all of these uh, you know, colors and uh, geometrical, uh, I just remember the detail getting lost in the eyes. And it was just a vision, you know, uh, in my mind's eye. And they kind of, uh, I kind of acknowledged it. And I was like, oh, cool. How are you doing? You know, and just kind of like, what's up? (laughs) What what are you doing here? And, um, and then it sort of faded away. And I was like, okay, that was interesting. Uh, So that was, part one and then and that was just in the meditation no i didn't have any audible things or anything it was just like this this vision i was like okay why is never had that vision before it's interesting didn't pay much attention to it and then a week later literally it was uh just a week later this this full moon eclipse we come back down the mountain and um uh driving home and yeah, my teeth just started clattering and I had this image again pop into my head. I'm like, oh, this guy again, what's going on here? And then I started feeling physically just like weird. Um, I was like, okay, I don't know if I, I think we need to just get home. I need to get home um, as soon as possible. And pulled into the driveway and I just went straight to bed. I was like this, I feel like queasy and weird. I just need to lay down for a minute. And it was in that moment which felt like hours, but it, I guess it probably was about an hour uh, total, maybe a little less even. I just felt uh, all these sensations, images, um, telepathic communication. I would ask a question and I would get uh, inundated with visual, um, uh, different visuals and, and just sort of knowings. And uh, this is, it was at this time is when I felt like I I felt what telepathic communication with an ET was because uh, it was like I could ask a question and it would give it to me and um, and I was asking questions because I was doing the show still you know I was just getting the show going but I was asking particularly about the mantis's role uh, you know Zetas um, uh, the draconian agendas. Um, you know, I was asking all these questions uh, specific about all that stuff. And I was getting very specific answers. I was like, whoa, okay. Visually, it was like, I still had to interpret it in my own mind, um, sort of interpreting it in real time. But uh, but getting these visuals, getting these sort of sensations and knowings, no, nothing audible. I don't remember any audible sounds. Uh, but also physically, just my body going into um, th- this, th- my teeth, my teeth would uh, chat, cl- clatter and click, almost like a Bashar kind of thing. Um, and then uh, I remember p- 
parts of my body tensing up and, you know, getting um, uh, tense or shaking or, you know, vibrations. It was a lot going on at the same time. So I'm like having these physical sensations as I'm getting this, this, this these mental and, and telepathic uh, communications. So uh, it was a wild uh, night to say nonetheless and then afterwards <laughs> I, you know I, I i came out of the room and i sort of shared and i was like whoa what is going on here um didn't physically see anything in the room my eyes were closed i, I had more images and visuals with my eyes closed than open so i just kind of stayed in that state and i didn't feel that the, i didn't feel scared and i didn't feel like there was any um anything in the room to, to, to hurt me or do anything like that. It was just more of this, this telepathic thing, this meditation thing. Um, and then uh, coincidentally, I think it was just like a month or two after that, I was at a UFO conference, uh, UFO Congress in, in, in Arizona. And um, Barbara Lamb, who I had spent time with uh, on the show and she had regressed me for the show. Um, uh, she, I bump into her and she's like, Hey, Ruben, I want you to meet, uh, you know, Jacqueline and Rob and they're, you know, Mantis Hybrids in their part of this book. And then right away I was like, what? Okay. Um, meet, they were part of the book that Barbara and Miguel Mendoza, uh, did called meet the hybrids. And, uh, I hadn't told anybody about my Mantis experience and I thought, okay, this would be a nice little test. And I grabbed them and I said, hey, do you have time? I would love to do an interview for you, uh, with, with you guys for my show, where I talk about, you know, ETs and stuff. And they didn't really know about the show at the time, but it was great. They were willing to give me their time. Sunday morning, we, we set it up and, and did it. And during the interview, I, I held back. I didn't say, I said, I think I may have had some experiences, but I kind of want to get your guys' take on it. And as we were going into it, uh, you can see in the interview, they, they said a couple things that I would light up or, or um, would trigger sort of a confirmation of the information that was given to me in my experiences or my experience, my main one. So I, I was like, yeah, these guys are the real deal. They're, their experiences, it's just when you, when it gets to that stage, and as you and I have talked too, when we get to the stage where we can confirm these experiences by other people having similar experiences and similar downloads, similar information, that's just what makes this whole thing super exciting, right? Is we're, we're going beyond the veil of what we understand of normal communication. And we're having these communications from what we perceive as these mantis beings it could be something different but we're all perceiving very similar things we're getting detailed information from these beings uh in, a, in, in that matches up with other people uh who who may or may not have met so like myself at that conference i think the conference was in february of uh, 2017 so it was a few months had went by um and since then, having the conversation even more, uh, you and I are talking now, you have your audience and, and more and more, and you're connecting with, with your projects, the experience your group, you're connect, you're, you're, we're creating a safe place for people to share these experiences. And the more we can do that, the more we can um, break down the, the, these barriers, uh, communicate with these beings more, communicate with each other, share this information, uh, because in my opinion from what i've seen so far this information has only been used in a positive way to uplift myself and uplift those uh, others who who have had interactions with this this phenomenon so many good threads here a veritable spider web of leads i want to follow up on let's start with this one when you were having the telepathic download direct responses were coming to your questions such as what is the role of the manted beings and what are the motivations among the entities people encounter what can you share of the responses you got any particulars well in the moment i didn't have as much of a reference point as i do now obviously exploring the series going deeper i can share what 
with you briefly what I what I discovered in the moment, but I since have had more encounters with the mantis beans in in ayahuasca ceremonies. That's really the best the the only time I've really had them come through. And it's almost like everyone now. It's like it's kind of sort of like it's the permission slip that I can use to to talk to the Mantis brothers. I'm sure they're around. I'm sure they're around all the time, anyways. And but they've given me more specific information about them in those ceremonies. So I, I've kind of compiled, I guess, my view now. Plus t- having all these interviews and talking to other people who've had these different um, encounters with them. Uh, my frame of reference in my, my um, I guess my definition of what is a mantis bean is, is way more evolved than it was at the time. And I don't know if you want me to share that big picture scenario or just the little specifics that I had. I'd love to hear how that view has evolved. Do you want to start us with its inception and then walk us through how it developed over time and experience? Okay. So the, the, the little nuggets that I received in the download on that lunar eclipse was that the mantis, first, I guess, you see throughout my series, I'm also trying to create a, an encyclopedia like yourself, a thesaurus, this, this try to, to log and get as much data points as we can so we can find out who these beings are where they're coming from, what their motives are, what's going on on earth, what are we doing here? So that's been a big part of my series is, is trying to log and, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, categorize these things. Meager aspirations there, Ruben. <laughs> Just catalog the taxonomy of all the non-ordinary <laughs> entities. Just a small little thing, you know, it's, part of, it's a side thing. <laughs> So, you know, the mantis would come up, uh, I would, I would have um, talked to experiencers. Before I started the show, a lot of people don't know this, before I started the show, uh, what it kind of inspired it, I was very curious and I would go to UFO meetup groups and go to uh, experiencer group meetings that was specifically for people who would get regressed, like Barbara Lamb had, uh, Yvonne Smith had a group, uh, Barbara Lamb would have a group, and I would just go there to hang out. Like, I, I didn't really have the experiences that everybody else had, but I wanted to know what, what is going on. So I would, I, I probably interviewed hundreds of people about their experiences and when they were taken on the ships and, you know, giving the donations and, and uh, what all that was about. And, and many, many times people describe these mantis beings sort of just sitting or t- standing in the background, <clears throat> not doing anything, but they felt, people said they always felt that these, these beings had uh, some sort of authority or, or they felt a lot of love from them, but there was something, they, they were there sort of overseeing the project or whatever. So that's, that was my reference point for, for these beings. So when they when I had this experience, I asked, I said, hey, what's your guy's role? What's going on here? And I was discovering at the time this, this, the great experiment. Uh, and I was sort of asking questions about it. What is, what is humanity? What are, what are we doing here? And the, the answer that I got at the time was there's this strong masculine energy called the Draconians. You know, we'll label it that at that, at that point. Uh, that was sort of my reference point at that time. And we had a very strong uh, feminine energy that we called the Palladians. And uh, a faction of the, the Draconians, because of their genetic makeup, they're having a really hard time, and their archetypes, not just genetics, but their archetypes, the energy around them, they're having a really hard time evolving out of physical reality. Uh, so I don't know, however, depending on whatever uh, belief system or, 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 or structure you have, <clears throat> I sort of use the, the density system, you know, fifth density, upper echelon, fifth density, you're still in the quasi-physical and then sixth density, it's, it's all, you know, collective consciousnesses and, and, and non-physical beings at that point is sort of the reference point that I use. Different people use different numbers, different sets, but basically going from physical to non-physical. 
And these draconians have been around for a long time, probably the longest uh, physicalized beings in our, you know, in, in the known universe is again, this is how it was downloaded to me with my reference points that I had at that time. And then, so this faction of the draconians was sort of tired of, of that, but they knew because of who they were, like their, their role in the universe is to, is to be this physical being and do its thing, right? So they called upon the mantis beings for help to figure it out. How are we going to break away from this this physicalized trap in a sense and that's when the mantis stepped in and sort of helped make the connection with the pleiades and i say this as from my understanding now i'm just using sort of archetypal constructs this this is not how exactly it probably happened in, in, in the, and I just don't want, I'm saying this because I don't want people to get caught up on the language. A lot of this phenomenon, we get so specifics, we get so caught up on the specifics with the language that I think it, this is a problem with the, uh, the community is, well, this person said that and that person said this, and then the details over here must counter those and, you know, all this stuff. And, and that's not really what I'm interested in anymore. And I'm realizing that we all have our own personal filters, how we understand this. And if we start pulling back and looking at this phenomenon through a, a bigger lens, a wider, more soft lens, where specifics aren't as necessary, and we just try to look at the archetypal constructs of of the phenomenon and these beings and you know the draconians and we can look at the archetype what is the energy of a draconian i think it it filters down into this reality and then specifically through each one of our personal experiences through our own filters so so of course it's going to have a different nuance than say uh somebody else having the exact same experience or the or, or connecting with the exact same energy but coming from a different energetic background cultural background vocabulary language like all these things take uh, have a effect on how the message is going to be interpreted through the individual so with that said i was you know with my reference points at that time through doing the show and and talking to these different experiencers um this was this is the language i'm using and this is a probably the longest disclaimer anybody's ever given but <laughs> to give the uh disclaimer that don't get hung up on on if i say pallades or draconians or these things it's just more of like let's just say a really intense uh masculine energy that's attached to form and and, and shape and then this more softer uh palladian feminine energy that uh is able to flow and not and not be attached to the physical form, but be able to that energy that we're that feminine energy that we're familiar with. So the mantis beings were able to sort of bring those two together. And I think a large part of the human uh, experiment is to help usher along those uh, those harder draconian energies and, and, and sort of break them down and, and have this Palladian hybrid. Again, not we're, maybe we're draconian Palladian hybrids, maybe we're Syrian, maybe we're all the whole lot, but just saying that this is how it was explained to me at the time because of my reference points. And moving forward since then, I've gotten more confirmations and information to sort of support that idea. And also that the mantis beings themselves, the way the draconians, this was at that time, the way the draconians looked up to the mantis beings was sort of how we looked up to angels and we call upon angels to help us with our prayers and stuff we to help us through the trials and tribulations of the trauma and stuff that we have to deal with here on earth so the um draconians their vision of, of angels in a sense would be more of sort of this, this mantis beam. So that, that was sort of like some of the specifics that came through. And then when I started talking 
with Robin Jacqueline right away. They're like, they're so angelic. And they're, you know, talking about, you know, a lot of people confuse. Um, they think they're seeing an angel, but they're probably seeing a mantis because it has wings and everything else. And I'm like, whoa, okay, that's pretty specific. And that's kind of what I was getting in my downloads. And th those are kind of sort of the two main parts that of the story that they kind of help fill in for me. Uh, I think I asked about like the Zeta uh, programs and they were saying that they aided them as well to to burrow into our uh, our reality, uh, assisted in in either technology or you know sort of traversing matrices. So I don't know if that's like space time stuff or if they just needed permission or or if the if the mantis came up with the plan. They were like, hey, we're dying. And like, whoa, we know how to help you, you know? And, and, and did they pray to the mantis too? And then the mantis kind of helped them find, uh, burrow into our reality and come up with this plan to, to take our DNA and share, share it, you know, that whole story. So there's a, a lot there that I, you know, kind of, I had some reference points, but there's all this new information. And then I was like, well, wow, how, what do you do with all that information? How do you... And I didn't know what to do. I called Linda Moulton Howell, told her my experience. She's like, hey, can I get that on that on uh, a recording? I should reach out to her and, and see if that's still fresh because that was still pretty close to after that event. So whatever I said in the interview was re recent or fresh. Uh, now it's sort of watered down because I've now I've got all these other experiences. And they're sort of like, it's not as clear. But also, you know, talking with you, I don't know if you ever got in touch with Sid Goldberg, but he had also had, he's another Mantis brother who had some experiences and in, in the film world. So it's been, yeah, I guess, did I answer the question, the specifics? What, what are the specific about them that I, that I know that I'd like to share is, that was kind of fun figuring this out and talking to them and then talking to other people is, I, I call them, I call the Mantis beings the facilitators of desire. And what that means is they, they help connect the dots. So if somebody energetically has a, uh, a desire, an idea, a plan uh, that they need to execute, and they're on the other side of the world, and this other person has sort of all of the, the same desires or similar desires that would correlate with what this person is desiring or this person's what this person wants to execute and do would be a good match for that person's desires but they're on the other side of the planet what the mantis beings this is again my interpretation and download from my downloads and talking with other people is that so if these people have these two lives going different directions the mantis beings would then suddenly for example, you know, let's close this shop right now. So if the person's going to the shop and then they, they're planning on doing something, we'll close, we'll make sure we'll do something over here to make the ship, the close, uh, the shop closed. So then they have to take a detour to go down this other road that they normally wouldn't go down. And then, uh, you know, a truck pulls in the way and take a left and stall it, you know, for two seconds while the next person, you know, you see these kind of scenarios in the movies. And then uh, eventually that person gets to be in the same space-time space as the other person because the other person also went on a series of detours and things to just meet up right at the exact time at the right moment, which we call synchronicity. But I think there's actually these mantis beings moving the chessboards around. So our synchronies, synchronicities can, can sync up uh, and they're reading the energy. And it, we say beings as you know as they're um physicalized beings but they're beyond that they're in a uh, more of a non-physical higher realm that they can do subtle things in that realm that affects the the, the details of things in this realm and they have a, a much easier way it sounds very complicated when i explain it that way that this this chess piece needs to move here and that and this here and you know that is just an analogy so to say, but I think that's what they, I think that's what a big part of their role is, is to sort of connect the dots. So we have these experiences, like a strange coincidence. I, I go on, I get invited to do another podcast about the recent citizen hearing disclosures. I go on the guy's Twitter page just to check him out, to see who he is. And then I see a, a tweet about a mantis being 
somebody tweets about a mantis being uh, <laughs> reposted. This is why I'm like using the bathroom on the way to, to have this call with you. And then, uh, oh, and there's Stuart asking him about, please post the video about, you know, the mantis being <laughs> experienced. And, and this is 10 minutes before I'm going to have an interview with Stuart, who I've never seen Stuart on Twitter. I, I think just, <laughs> you know, quickly. <laughs> And, and then I commented, you know, inquiring brother, you know, Mantis brothers want to know. I love it. Because I wanted to find the link too. So sure enough, the Mantis is already doing their work, right? To, to sync things up <laughs> for this. So good. So many questions. Let's go with the ontological status of Mantid entities. You've encountered them in meditation and ayahuasca ceremonies, which is something I've heard from a number of people actually. There are the telepathic connections. They're found on ships, dreams, waking state, out of body. They're all over the consciousness map. So what do you suppose their home base is like, their native neighborhood? What's a day in the life of a mantid? Um, I was going to ask <clears throat> this off camera, but I'll ask you here. Did, have you seen the movie Soul, the, Pixar, the latest Pixar movie? I have not. Oh, highly recommend it. Um, it sort of takes a lot of these uh, new age concepts that uh, that sort of becoming the the norm in uh, you know in the interviews and, and and the stuff we're talking about and it and it puts it in a pretty funny cool little movie and not with aliens and stuff but just sort of like realms it, it really deals with a, sort of a cartoony version of of how to look at different realms and they have you know this realm when you die and then this realm where if you die and you don't go back to earth right away, or if you don't go into the, into the, the great, uh, what do they call it? The great void or whatever, then you're, uh, you're sort of hanging out as an, as an entity. And, and then there's all these other entities that are, um, sort of helping support, you know, the lost souls. They, these are terms that they use in the movie, but they're interchangeable for, I think what we're trying to discuss here and if you haven't seen the movie, uh, definitely recommend to go see it. But we have these different realms. And in these other realms, when we look back down to our realm, it's a completely different operating system, a different way. Let's use the analogy of, of how we perceive ants. And when, we, when you go to that micro level of the ant in the ant world, uh, it's a very different, we've seen a lot of National Geographic films. It's a very different world, you know, from that s smaller lens and, and how they operate and what they, the challenges that they have and what they're dealing with uh, and how they perceive time and what, and their surroundings, like they don't see the world as we see it. Um, their world is, is what we would perceive as being very limited, but from their perspective is, is vast and massive and, it, you know, just travel a mile would be you know many lifetimes so if we sort of use that same you know viewpoint pulling out sort of say if we had these other beings that sort of are if our view is just this little ant world and if these other beings had uh, a different perspective which would be very hard for us to imagine because we're stuck in the ant world but how we can interact and destroy an anthill or build it or move things around. And we would perceive it as like, this is coming from the gods or this is coming from the aliens. You know, what is happening here? These things are getting moved around and stuff is happening. Uh, but for them, it's very easy to pick up a rock and move it over there. And, you know, for example, how we would do that. So I think if we use these real world analogies, then a being residing in a higher dimension is not as limited and doesn't have to go through a, a lot of the trials and tribulations that we have to, you know, just to go around, uh, for example, for a, a, an ant to go a mile would be a major task for us to go, you know, 10 miles, 12 miles, or even hop an airplane or go around the globe, major task. For these guys, not a big, not a big deal because they're in a different operating system they see the world from a different perspective and how they a day in the life of them, I think would be a very, very different day in a life that we couldn't imagine because we're, we're so limited to our 
perspective of things on earth, but use your imagination to think using that analogy to think and, and, and sort of expand. Okay. If, if, if you had control over space, time, gravity you can jump between dimensions. And if you weren't a singular being, but you were a collective of, of, of beings having your own individual experience, able to tap into people having their individual experiences, but it's simultaneously being able to experience this infinite greatness that all your other Mantis brothers and other space brothers are experiencing simultaneously. I mean, it's so out there, like words wouldn't do it justice, but hopefully just giving a little analogy of what your imagination could imagine for what a day in a life could be of these guys. I don't know if that helps. Beautiful. Okay. So whenever I get the opportunity to speak with a Mantis experiencer, I'm always curious to get their read on the 2,400 species of mantis insects, which have a history on Earth that goes back 135 million years. What correlation or relationship exists between the insect mantises and the big eight-foot-tall ones, which experiencers encounter? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, in my interview I did for my show with Rob and Jacqueline, Rob sort of gave me the best uh, breakdown that I still sort of hold that same view today, which is um, the, the insects, and specifically the mantis, they have this, uh, I think they were some of the first beings, um, physical matter, physical beings uh, in our existence. Um, they had to be because when, as earth was forming and you know the rocks and the minerals and it's doing all its things, volcanic stuff, the um, insects created, you know, they have this hard shell that can protect them in harsh environments. So they were some of the first types of, of you know, life to, to form. And because of that exoskeleton, they, they were able to ride some of the more difficult times uh, during Earth's evolution and uh, uh, other planets too. So they, they were some of the first to come onto the scene, so to say, and they were some of the first to evolve through all of the, 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 um, the galaxy, the cosmos of all these other planets. So that exoskeleton helped them get thing, get, go through their ev evolution quite quickly. So in the opposite of a reptilian, that is also strong and, and built a resilience to weather and whatnot. But I think um, the spiritually or emotionally or however you want to say it, the, the, the uh, mantis were able to move through their evolution fairly quickly. And they were also some of the first, if not the first types of life around. So they've been incarnated and in, in part of the consciousness soup longer than, than any other, probably longer than the reptilians. But the difference, as I was saying before, is the reptilians were sort of still attached to the physical where we have, with the mantis, we have the whole spectrum. We have physical and non-physical and, and, and beyond, whatever, you know, they've gotten to the point in their evolution where they're now uh, coming back into physical reality to help, help us and help move things around because they've been through that evolution cycle from the very beginning to, to the end. I'm hoping that makes some sense. Is that where you wanted to go with the question a little bit? Yes. And beyond that, a chicken and egg question. Do we have the insects because of the larger mantid beings by their design, let's say, in which the insects can function in accord with the larger ones as sensory apparatus, or figuring in the symphony of synchronicities or temporal adjustments, etc.? Well, we have to remember in our linear reality, we, we have chicken and eggs, but as soon as you pop out of space-time, um, there's you know it's chicken and egg and what came first it doesn't there's not a uh, it's it's quantum it's it's one zero and one in zero so i don't know if there's a, a before or after but i do know from all the interviews and discussions that every piece of life or non what we even consider just minerals rocks uh crystals Everything in, in our consciousness has a, a, a string or a, 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 
form of consciousness that connects to somewhere else. And we use, we can use, especially indigenous use all kinds of things in their ceremony that help us connect, you know, like a, a, a hawk feather or so different uh, emblems or, or materials that uh, crystals, different things that we all use as permission slips to help us connect to these energies. And I think the mantis, for sure, the mantis, uh, the smaller brain mantis on our planet are for sure coming from that same consciousness. So they are antennas, so to say, uh, that can connect us to that reality. And we can use them to, you know, just focusing in on that image or physically uh, having one show up in your backyard and, and talking with them. Uh, by all means, I think it can be used uh, and is being used by these higher dimensional beings to tunnel into our reality in an easier form than, you know, them having to come through uh, in their physicalness or if they were to show up in a physicalized version, you know, how would that be perceived and felt and, and, and how much energy would it take for that to happen maybe it's a lot easier for them just to hop into a you know to use that consciousness stream to hop into a, a little being and and communicate and navigate and and be in our reality through that uh, mode as opposed to you know a, a ship or or a, um, a physical manifestation of a you know a seven foot tall mantis there's I would imagine it's just easier to use that consciousness stream if it exists. So, so yeah, definitely there's a connection. I, I think we have with, you know, felines uh, connecting into Lyra, you know, uh, birds connecting into the Pleiades. We have all these, this cosmic soup here on, on the planet that we can use these other energies to connect into the cosmic version for sure. Let's talk a bit about family. Often, anomalous experiences run along bloodlines. There's an intergenerational component. I know your mom had mentioned an experience she had. Is there a family element in your case? Anyone who researches this does come across this, this family lineage uh, connection, it seems, uh, especially with the more public or more famous cases or people who have been engaging in the phenomenon you know, for, for, for a while, or, uh, um, I, I should say, hmm, how do I say that? And not, not in a while, but some of the more meatier cases, I, I don't feel my case is so meaty <laughs> in a sense. I've dove into this subject matter, trying to understand as much as I can. And therefore I've invited, uh, myself, I've opened myself up to this wacky world, um, to to have more experiences which i've had since since doing that but as far as you know the lineage my mom i all that really happened uh when i was little i remember my mom mentioning something to the to the extent that she was visited by aliens when she was little or something like that and i remember just laughing it off when i talk to her now about it she doesn't really remember she doesn't have, uh, she's like, did I say that? You know, did I, I don't, maybe I said that. I don't remember, you know, kind of thing. So it's, I think I, I remember, I just, you know, when I got interested in the subject matter um, and I started doing my own research and, and, and into this, this, uh, the lineage thing, definitely it was something that was instilled in my memory as a, as a younger child. Cause I do remember hearing her talk about that a little bit and I just remember how crazy it sounded when I when I was a kid like that's something that you only read in comic books what's my mom my mom's lost it you know kind of thing so I do remember that that moment but unfortunately it's not you know as in depth and I don't have any juicy stories to, to share in that sense other than it just being something in passing and my mom definitely, you know, she's been, she was involved with a cult. She was, uh, um, now she's still very uh, out there with her beliefs um, and, and ideas. And she has a connection to 
um, I should say the some of these online forums that talk about Zetas and things, she really likes that information coming from there. So I'm like, of course she's had to had had to have had contact, even if she doesn't have conscious memory, what's all the interest in you know getting information from so-called Zetas through um, channel material? So you know there's there's that. I think if you're into this stuff, it, you, you, there's a connection somewhere whether you're consciously aware of it not same for me i don't have any real conscious memories of contact experiences other than the ones you know that i've shared that inspired me to do the show and stuff and the sightings and things and then i had that mantis encounter that that we've talked about in the past um so other than those specific conscious memory moments i do what what what's interesting is i guess since we last talked is i've come to discover a uh, physical trauma or a physical reaction to the idea of uh meeting these beings face to face and when i say that i was at an event a bashar event daryl anka channeling bashar and on the in the audience uh, that you know how people go up to to talk on, on the um, and ask questions. A, a gentleman was called, and he kept pushing Bashar out. You know, I, I'm ready for contact now, and I'm gonna, you know. And I was sitting there, uh, and I started getting really uncomfortable when he was pushing Bashar for this uh, around this this contact, and that he's ready for it, and bring the saucers can come right now. And then, and Bashar was trying to explain that these you know no you can't handle it kind of thing you know this is like uh the energy exchange uh just because of the frequency they're at it would be so intense as he's describing that i started really my hands started sweating i started feeling really uh, uh uncomfortable and i was like what is going on here this is crazy he kept pushing kept pushing and internally i literally i was feeling i think i was starting to have some sort of uh memory recall of perhaps physical engagements that i've probably had that have just been wiped from my memory uh because i started just just feeling all kinds of weird <laughs> that's all i gotta say and then gita gita rose who i interviewed uh she was the last uh, interview in in season two uh she was she was there with us and he kind of dropped the the guy asking the question. He kind of dropped the subject, but then he got back on it. You know, Bashar kept trying to explain to him and saying, you know, but he was very stubborn. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Gita just lets out the biggest scream in the audience, and it terrified everybody in the audience. Right? <laughs> they edited it obviously from there, but uh, everybody was, it was like you could hear a pin drop. But for me, it was like. Oh my, it was like, oh my God, thank God. You know, it was like this buildup of energy. And I felt, I, I, and I didn't, I talked to her later and she, she, I said, did you feel what I was feeling? She's like, no, I, she just heard in her head, her, you know, her guide, Bella. And she said, Bashar as well. We're just saying, scream as loud as possible. And she just did what she was told, <laughs> which was, you know, she got a spanking from Bashar Communications after that. Like, no, you can't do that. This is where <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, and every, you know, and, and then I was having to, you know, uh, she was going around and apologizing to people and, and, and I was helping with that. I was like, you know, Hey, this is what I was feeling. And, you know, maybe she was picking up on that or whatever. But, uh, so once we explained it to people, they were okay with it, but it freaked a lot of people out as it, as it probably would. But what I, I use that story as an analogy, cause I've tried to revisit that emotion, that feeling after as well. And I do think there's some blocked memories from contact experiences that I still have to unlock, whether I do that through, you know, hypnosis or through psychedelic journeying through ayahuasca. Um, I'm due for a, a journey. It's been over a year now or just my own meditations or however, right? There's some, some process that, that I need, that I understand that I need to, to visit those traumas to start unlocking these memories. And I think a lot of these memories get locked because of the traumatic events that, that lie around them. Not 
in my mind, I don't think it's negative in any way. Obviously, I'm still sitting here. I'm healthy. But in the moment, the, the fear factor and, and also, as Bashar says, this, this energetic vibration from dimension to dimension is, is probably so vastly different than what our on a cellular level from what we're used to that it uh, probably produces some sort of traumatic, you know, space-time shift rip in the space-time realm or whatever. Who knows what's really going on there? But definitely there's something to visit there. So I guess I, I, I went into that story to say I don't have the full downloads, uh, remembering of, of, of these uh, contact experiences. I really only have two, one sighting and I've had many sightings actually. I've seen quite a bit of stuff in the sky, but this one mantis experience um, that I shared with you last time. Be sure to catch part two of our conversation with Ruben Langdon. When I shit you not, he shares <laughs> encounters with a fairy and a leprechaun. Those are two separate events. It's a milestone for aliens and artists. It took us a while, but we finally got to hear a bona fide leprechaun encounter. And it even took place in Ireland. To hear that episode, just become a Plus member or a patron. Click the link in the show notes. Plus members get more than twice the original content and many incredible exclusives. Plus members don't just get their entire own episodes, but we also expand the subject matter on Plus episodes. It's a wider anomalous net we cast, and it even includes some paranormal comedy. Is that an oxymoron? Find out on Plus. People have been wondering what's the difference between becoming a Plus member and becoming a patron. Patrons are issued their own Integratrons, which extend their lives over 40%. Plus members receive wizard wands that confer powers of wish fulfillment. Patrons are cryogenically frozen upon death, remaining in suspended animation until a medical panacea. Plus members get one of those eggs John Lennon purportedly gave to Uri Geller, which an insectoid entity allegedly gave to John Lennon. Patrons grow tall. Plus members get lucky. Patrons are never alone again. Plus members drink coffee all day and still get a great night's rest. Patrons are immortalized in song. Plus members make ideal mates for patrons, but patrons are somewhat oblivious to the vibe that plus members are even into them. I hope that clears things up. Click on the link in the show notes to become a plus member and a patron in order to compare and contrast how each is even more like the other. Chicago, spring of 2001. Sometime after 2 a.m. at O'Hare Airport near the Ozark Warehouse, it had been raining. The ground was still wet. The area was dotted with patches of light fog. Four employees on the job were facing a nearby runway. One observed an object overhead and alerted the other three. All four witnessed a circular-shaped craft merely 30 feet away, about 40 feet above them, moving very slowly, about five miles per hour. From their initial view, it looked cigar-shaped, but in the following moments, its saucer shape would become apparent. A couple windows were visible on the forward section of the craft. The object was about 50 feet across, consisting of a seamless metallic body. The exterior had no apparent features aside from its smooth surface. Witnesses seemed to detect a dashboard through the windows at the front. There were another dozen or so windows on the sides of the craft. The interior was well lit. At the rear of the craft, two bizarre tendrils extended from the body, similar to living tentacles such as an octopus might have. Their motion gave the impression that they were alive and under intelligent control. As they took in this incredible close encounter, a 747 came down the runway to take flight. It was headed straight for the UFO, but the objects did not collide, and the unidentified craft banked at 45 degrees, then slowly vanished into the fog. To see vivid depictions of this event, pick up Michael Schratt's book, Dark Files. Aliens and Artists is brought to you by The Liminal Muse, offering one-on-one -on -one work with me, Stuart Davis. Sessions focus on transpersonal hypnotherapy, creativity as a spiritual path, contemplative practices, and more. Go to theliminalmuse.com to book a session or click the link in the show notes. And the Experiencer Group. 
a private membership site for experiencers of anomalous phenomena, including near-death, out-of-body, precognition, mediumship, contact with non-human entities, and much more. The Experiencer Group features private meetups with other experiencers from around the world, exclusive Ask Me Anything sessions with luminaries, original video and audio content, and much more. Click the link at the show notes to become a member and get one month free. Into the black hill. 